the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 936 AM 1420, the answer on a Tuesday. Kirsten Al coming up, as I mentioned, after the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about Russia. We'll talk to him about Ukraine. We'll talk talk to him about the uh, State of the Union address. I don't know if a president has ever given a first State of the Union address with lower approval ratings, with more of Americans hating him uh, than what Joe Biden is facing tonight. It's going to be a remarkable thing to see. We'll get Kirsten Al's thoughts about that. But I want to talk about a global situation right now. Something that we should not have to deal with, quite frankly, in an America first world, but we are going to have to deal with, particularly as it pertains to global pandemics uh, and uh, international health emergencies. These are all the things that they call the COVID-19 uh, uh, virus. And the World Health Organization is apparently ready to put together an international treaty of which the United States would be a part. A treaty on pandemic prevention and preparedness. What would that mean? I can only speculate. Let's see what Dr. Sherry Tenpenny thinks about that. Dr. Tenpenny, good to have you back on our program. How are you this morning? I'm fine, Bob, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, you and I talked uh, uh, last week, actually, about this, and it piqued my interest. And I looked up a few things about this international uh, treaty. And, uh, wow, um, I-, I have to admit, I am I'm very, very concerned. It's one thing for us to be told by our government that we don't have the freedom to make our own medical decisions in the face of a quote-unquote pandemic. It's another thing if we start to be told by international governments what we have to do with our bodies and how we have to respond in the face of a health emergency. What can you tell us about this? Well, it's not the first time that they've tried to do this, Bob. I mean, this started back in 2005 with bird flu when they started talking about covered countermeasures and global pandemic preparedness and that we needed to work together as a unified world with 194 members of the World Health Organization and all of the different countries that they represent. And so this has been in the planning for a really long time. It just appears as though they are at the point of developing this intergovernmental body that will hold its first meeting today, as a matter of fact, in order to work up timelines and ways that they can further. It will just be like um, COVID-19 steroids or COVID-19 2.0. It will be, it will be harsher. It will be more controlling. There will be all of the economic uh, sanctions that will be on an individual basis. Um, There will actually be a, a way that they can control how we spend our money it will be controllable currency and they will tell you at what stores you can spend your money how much at a time you can you can spend and that just all couples in with the chinese social credit scores 
So the social credit scores, I was talking about that a little bit yesterday as well, and there are a number of other things that are, that are going to be factored into that. What What is the um, responsibility of, or what do you expect the response of the United States to be with this? If, I mean, the World Health Organization can call for this treaty, but every member nation would have to sign on. Um, is, it a, is it a given that the United States would do so? I would say, and this is just my personal opinion, yeah. that given the current administration that we have and how they and how they have been so heavy-handed here unnecessarily in many of our states i believe they will be lockstep with this treaty do you believe that they would be just following along with what the world health organization leadership decides should be in the treaty or would we be a a charter member actually carving out the policy whatever it is well, if it, it says in the in the article about the World Health Assembly, they reached them. The 194 members reached consensus to kickstart this process. I'm sure. I believe that the United States is one of those 194 members, and you know they've all they've always gone along with the pandemic preparedness plan. I remember back in 2005 when I, I wrote this book called A Bird Flu. It's not what you think. In, it was in 2005, and I went to Washington D.C. multiple times to, for the for the pandemic uh, planning committees that they were launching there. And it was you could see where this was going even way back in 2005. And now that they have the World Economic Forum at the helm, and they've pulled this off globally, and they've got the young global leaders all lockstep with it. I mean, I I don't see that the U.S. would suddenly go. Wait a minute, we're not going to do this treaty. We're going to do our own thing because it's already so entrenched at such a global level. I I just think that we're just going to go right along with it. I want to read a quote here from this article. Doctor, We're talking with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and uh, we're talking about uh, what could be an international or global response to future health emergencies. Um, this is the Joint Call for an International Pandemic Treaty, and I believe this quote comes from the President of the European Council, Charles Michel. Um, There will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. The question is not if, but when. Together, we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, detect, assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. To that end, we believe that nations should work together toward a new international treaty for pandemic preparedness and response. Uh, I'm going to ask again, kind of, you know, more more directly. Do you believe that this body, through this treaty, would be able to order? all of the citizenry of member nations to take steps that are in violation perhaps of their own constitutional rights uh, guaranteed them in their nations. In other words, would would somebody in, in Davos be able to tell us, get the jab or lose your job the way Joe Biden did? I, I believe if I, if I, I believe that the treaty, international treaties carry that level of weight. You know, treaties are at the highest level of of global interaction and the way that they respond to things together in lockstep, I think that they would be able to make this these dictums because that's where this initial funnel for um, bird flu, for swine flu, for H1N1, and now for the corona pandemics, all you know, all three of them now. The the it's the World Health Organization at the helm initiating the steps that would need to be done in order to contain the, the global pandemic. And so they were the ones initially, if you recall, pushing the mask, 
they were the ones who contrived the con- the concept of social distancing. They were the ones who uh, were pushing all of the testing, 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 that we stopped having a, pa- a, a, a pandemic and we started to have a case-demic. So they're at the helm of this. And I, I, I would think that any, any member nation that signed on to the treaty would be bound by the conditions of that treaty in order to shut down the global spread of what the World Health Organization perceives as a pandemic threat. Dr. Tenpenny, let's talk about uh, how they would track us uh, with respect to these types of um, requirements. Um, there is something called the AIRA, the American Immunization Registry Association. I don't like it by its title. Uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about that? Well, and I don't like it by the fact that it just got set up. I mean, if you go to their website, it's the American Immunization Registry Association. Copyright That's the word I don't 2022. Like. Exactly. And it's copyright on their website is 2022. Well, we're only 60 days into 2022, and they've already got national meetings set up. They've got uh, one sheet for their partners on how to do this. And so the tracking mechanisms are not going to go away. And we may we may differ and quibble on the word of of having your COVID pass or your vaccination pass, but I believe if I remember right, there's already 26 states. If I, I read somewhere else that was talking that have already got these these things in place, it's just a matter of pulling the triggers. And so they'll you'll go with your phone or your little uh, iPad sort of thing. It'll have all of your immunization records, your registry on it, that that's how you will buy, sell, trade, how you'll go into the grocery store, determine what you're going to buy, um, what you're going to be able to participate in. This has been a big multinational global organization that's been in place for at least five years, planning out the technology to be able to track our every move. Now, what you're talking about now is something I brought up actually on yesterday's show, um, and, and that is the smart health card. That's what it's called is the right. smart health card. To date, uh, as of, let's see, the date of this is da, 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 the 24th. So as of, uh, what, five days ago, 21 states, along with the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, had uh, offered, and this is the key word here, offered accessibility to the smart health card, a verifiable digital proof of vaccination through the VCI, the Vaccination Credential Initiative. Uh, and this is something people can choose to get, which would be that QR code that says, they, they say rather, that it has only your name, your birth date, and your vaccine status. That's it, that it doesn't carry any other health information. So they're trying to alleviate the concerns of people who say that your health records are going to be an open book to anybody who scans your QR code. But Dr. Tenpenny, what I'm con- concerned about perhaps even more than that is not just what it says, but it can track where we go, what we do. Our decisions, our personal privacy are now going to be all, uh, you know, an open book. Again, because if the government can track uh, um, through that QR code whether or not you have been vaccinated and what places you try to access, well, then they can pretty much track your every movement. That's exactly right, Bob. And here's the other thing. Like all of these government programs, look back at all of them. <laughs> you pick, pick one. They're all the same. And think about the, the level of project creep. So they can just start out by saying, listen, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just your name and your vaccination record. Oh, but then the next one that comes out, well, we want to make it more convenient for you to be able to, to uh, go to the grocery store. All you'll mm-hmm. have to do is scan this QR code. Oh, look, the next thing you want to get on an airplane, it shows all of these different places of where you've been. I mean, it's project creep. This is just a way to get the sleeping sheeple public that are just 
so willing to just follow whatever the, the government is telling them that there's nothing to be concerned about. Don't worry. It doesn't have your record on it. It may not on the first version, right. but I can pretty much assure you that it will on subsequent subsequent versions. No question about it. And and I don't want to get all crazy conspiratorial here, which is what many who think that what we're talking about already is is laughable. But, you know, what happens when I try to go to the grocery store and I need that QR code to get in and, oh, crap, my phone's dead. Or, oh, crap, I left my phone at home on the charger. I can't get in now. That's going to lead to, or you tell me, this is what my fear is. Well, maybe we should make it more convenient so you can't forget it. You can't leave your QR code behind because you left it in the car or in the house or whatever. We'll just put a little chip. It'll be right under your skin. That way you'll never leave home without it. You'll never be denied access anywhere. It's a service we're providing to you for convenience so you don't have to worry about remembering your QR code. 100% correct. I mean, they're already doing it, and, and, and they've already been trialing that in Sweden and a couple of other countries to just show how easy it is to just have this little this little uh, fob, so to speak, underneath your skin. So and it'll eventually, it's eventually walking down the path that you will have to have this chip, and it's so convenient to just have it in your hand because, like you said, Bob, um, people will never have to worry about losing it or leaving it home or, or the, your phone being dead. Let's just make it easy for you to get to the biblical place where they talk about there will come a time with until you have the mark of the beast, whether that's a literal mark, whether that's a chip, whether it's um, the social credit stores, that you will not be able to buy, sell, and trade unless you have this. And we're walking right up to the door and knocking on that. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring up Mark of the Beast in the book of Revelation, only because, like I said, people already think that we're conspiracy nuts for talking about what we are. But, but yes, there is the biblical element there that we're talking about. But aside from that, even if it didn't say that in the book, uh, you know, the, the idea that we would lose our privacy to the point where somebody would take that, uh, that chip underneath their skin and, uh, give full access to their whereabouts and what they are doing to the government is, um, is, is just, it's, uh, it's well, terrifying, here's, quite frankly. Here's the thing. People can call it conspiratorial all they want, and they only call it that because it doesn't fit into their, into their box and it causes them to have cognitive dissonance. And the cognitive dissonance that has been created all, all along the way is just crazy. And, you know, because we, we, it doesn't matter how many facts you show people. You can show people the patents, the patent numbers. You can show them the experiments. You can show, I mean, I have a, uh, a presentation that I do that that takes that looks at um, that I found a book that goes all the way back into nineteen to nineteen fifty six, and that book says that um, I just want to read you a sentence. It says this was from nineteen fifty six. The name of the book was called The Rape of the Mind. Uh, uh, it was written by Joyce Mirlu, who was a professor of psychiatry. He said it is now, meaning in nineteen fifty six technically possible to bring the human mind into a condition of enslavement and submission. The, te- the tragic fact is that the political experiences in our age make it all too clear that applied psychological techniques can brainwash entire nations and reduce their citizens to a kind of mindless robotism, which becomes for them a normal way of living. We now, 1956, have the knowledge to enslave people in ways never dreamed of before, controlling them by means so carefully selected that they will perhaps never be aware of their loss of personhood. And that was written in 1956 in in, uh, in that book and another uh, article in Science Magazine. How much further along are they on today? 
And these are not, that's not conspiracy. I mean, it doesn't matter what facts you seem to show people. If it causes them uh, cognitive dissonance or they don't want to believe it, they label it conspiracy theory, which it's not. No, you're, you're right. And, and, and my whole thing is I don't want to play to the cognitive di- dissonance here. I, I, I essentially just want to say, aside from the thinking that we're just radical Bible thumpers looking at the book of Revelation, there's no beasting, yada, yada, yada. Let's just look at it from a common sense standpoint, from a practical standpoint. Exactly. Do you want the government to see where you are at all times because you have a chip in your body that every time you pass by, who knows where they're going to mount trackers? They're going to be on lampposts. They're going to be on every corner. They're going to, you know what I mean? There's, there's so much danger there. You don't have to uh, be looking at it from a religious point of view or anything else. Dr. Tempenny, we're going to wrap it there. I wanted to ask you about the uh, plunging uh, market values of uh, Moderna and Pfizer in terms of stocks, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, and I would ask you before we go to, please, please send me that quote. That was phenomenal. I'm going to make great use of it. Okay? Okay. I, I will. Appreciate thank it. you, Bob. Do- appreciate Dr. It. Sherry Tempenny, mm-hmm. thank you so very much for what you do. That's Dr. Tenpenny. It's 9.52. We'll take a time out right now and uh, back with a couple of calls on AM 1420 The 9.55 on a Tuesday. Peter Kersenow coming up after the top of the hour. Kersenow is going to talk about Ukraine, Russia, the impact on the United States, energy, costs, life. Also going to ask Peter Kersenow to talk about the new Supreme Court justice nominee put forth by uh, uh, Joe Biden in a very, very weird time frame. Uh, So we'll get into that uh, coming up as well. And then uh, we're also going to talk to Pete. Uh, this morning about the State of the Union address and what we can expect tonight from President Brandon. He and his 37% approval rating will address the nation and somehow try to find a way to tell you that everything is good. Everything is fine. All is well. All is well. Uh, yeah, I'm doing the, I'm doing Animal House there. But, I mean, really, in, in all seriousness, that what's he going to do? How is he going to stand there like Kevin Bacon in Animal House and tell us that all is well all is well. He's going to try, but I just, I, it's going to be very interesting to see how that works out for you. Because if there's one word, and I'm going to steal this from Senator Ted Cruz, who tweeted yesterday, the State of the Union under President Biden can be summed up in one word. Crisis. Right? Now, he was inaugurated January 2021. It's now March 2022, so we'll give it 13 months-ish. Um, in 13 months, here's what we have. Inflation crisis. Border crisis. Afghanistan crisis. COVID crisis. Supply chain crisis. Crime crisis. And now, Ukraine crisis. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bridge too far to say that I can't think in 13 months of one thing that Joe Biden has done well. One area of your life or mine that has been improved by something Joe Biden did, by a Biden policy. Nothing. Nothing. Every element of what I just read to you from the Ted Cruz tweet is true. So what can he possibly say tonight? 
We'll talk to Krishna about that after the top of the hour. Charlie's in Westlake. Hey, Charlie, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call. Good show. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I was thinking, I was listening to, to Trump over the weekend at the CPAC, and he did say something that was interesting to me. He said, until the media stops being the enemy of the people, this isn't going to change. And I'm going, how are we going to change this mass media from being anti-American? And I'm thinking the root is they all go to these liberal journalism schools that promote this stuff. They're just constantly promoting anti-Americanism. And he's right. The next candidate, if it's not him, they're going to attack him the same way because they're anti-American. And I'm really not sure how you change it other than change the college structure, you think. Um, well, the the structure that you're right about the journalism schools, uh, but they don't even need to get that indoctrination in the journalism schools. They get it as soon as they get on the job. Quite frankly, if you look and thank you for the call, my friend. If you look at the um, polls that are done, the surveys that are done, usually anonymously, of newsrooms. That means the biggest newspaper newsrooms, New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, and yes, the network news. And they ask them uh, and and chart, you know. Uh, uh, who they prefer, what they register as, what they consider themselves to be party-wise. It's always 90 to 95% Democrat. Ask who, uh, to whom they have given money, campaign contributions, donations, and it's 90 to 95% Democrat candidates. It's obvious. Uh, it's clear. Um, it, does it come from the universities? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Like I said, the universities in a general sense, not just the univer- or, uh, journalism schools, are cranking out little leftist, socialist, damn near Marxist at, our, at an alarming rate already. I don't know if journalism schools are any different, but even if they're not, the moment they get on the job, they, they get turned. They get turned. I can tell you, talking to a long time, actually more than one, Long-time Cleveland television news personality. And I'm not going to give anybody's messaging away here, violate any confidence, but I have talked to more than one Cleveland television personality who could not wait for their contract to end so they they could get out. They had no idea they were walking into an echo chamber of leftist ideas and ideals. And any time discussions were made of the politics, the politicians that they cover on those news programs, etc., any point that these individuals made that I spoke with uh, that favored Republicans or conservatives or in any way were negative toward the leftists, uh, they were met with scorn, they were isolated, they were ostracized, they were kicked to the side, made to feel like they didn't belong, and they couldn't wait to get out of there. So in the news game, Charlie, you either go along to get along or you get out. That's the way that it is. Cursing now after the news, AM 1420, the answer always right. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.